why don't you grab uh, your Bible? Um, we are walking through, what week are we on, Todd? We are on week 15 of, of walking through, there goes Sadie. We are on week 15 of walking through First uh, Timothy. And one of the things that I love about walking through whole books of the Bible uh, is that it forces the preacher to preach on topics that they would not normally preach on. Because, you know, if you're going to be doing like topical series, topical series tend to be like, you know what, I'm going to kind of text proof what I want to prove. I'm, I'm going to talk about these things because I think these are important things that we've got to talk about as a church. But when you walk through whole books of the Bible, it forces you to address issues that normally the church would never address. And so this morning, we are going to be walking through uh, 1 Timothy 5, starting at verse 13. Last week, Tim Vink, uh, the director of church multiplication for the Reformed Church in America, uh, jumped ahead. He wanted to speak on uh, 1 Timothy 17 through 25, and he really wanted to talk about that as, uh, as somebody who has a heart for pastors and elders, and... Um, so we're, we're going to back up a section. So it's, this is the one time that we're out of order. So my apologies. And we are going to be talking about widows. We, our average age here is probably 13. And uh, so th- this issue of widows is not really something you, you kind of look and just say, okay, do we have widows amongst us? But Paul speaks about this and spends a good 14 verses, 14 verses on this topic as he's talking to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus, and say, this is important stuff, and I'm going to spend 14 verses on it. David Lloyd George once said, and this is going to preface everything else, the true test of a civilization is the way it treats its old people. I, I would change a word in there. The true test of a church. True test of a church is the way it treats its old people. So how, as, as we go through this, we're going to wrestle through, what does it mean for us as Missio Day Church, as our family? What does it mean for us of how do, how do, we, how do we love and care? So, starting at verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn how to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope set on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, But she who is indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less 
than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up her children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has been devoted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are really widows. This is the word of the Lord. So in my research this week, I have... uh, gone everywhere, you know, read all the commentaries, struggled through all this kind of stuff. And one of the things in my research is I found a lot of interesting stats. Uh, For example, the U.S. News and World Report uh, from way back in 81 covered this, the ugly facts about the brutality against aged people by their own families. The author said this, each year, perhaps a million elderly Americans or about one out of every 25 are, re, uh, are abused by relatives. One out of 25. Few people are aware of such abuse, although it occurs with a frequency only slightly less than child abuse. Only one in six cases ever comes to the attention of the authorities. Victims are likely to be 75 or older, and women suffer more often than men. The most likely abuser is the son, followed by the daughter, and a spouse. And this article it just described the, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, and just the extreme emotional abuse that some of these widows have, uh, have affected, have been, how they've been affected by this abuse. But I think, you know, reading that, I'm going, ah, shame on the world. Shit. This is ridiculous that this should ever happen. But... The church of Jesus Christ also is sometimes guilty of another form of abuse towards the elderly. We are. And that abuse is one of apathy. We're apathetic. We're apathetic. And, you know, you you hear, oh, he's going to be preaching on the topic of caring for widows. And there's like this yawn of, seriously? I'm 20-something, I'm 30-something, 40-something. John, you're... Being, he's, he's 22 again, you know. You know, you kind of hear this, you kind of yawn and go, are you serious? What, what does this have to do with me? I've got kids, you know, at seven and four. I don't get this elderly thing. Why are we talking about this? But this probably, honestly, would not have been a topic that I would have chosen Like I said earlier, I I wouldn't have chosen to preach about this. But Paul says this is critical for the church to understand. We all have parents. All of us. Think about it. You have parents. 
they are doing what? They're getting older. They're getting older. It's a law of nature. It happens. And maybe God is trying to get our attention on this subject that we we incline to just kind of shrug off. And because God is concerned about his people. He is concerned about widows. Now, just just look at Look at these, uh, these verses. God d- has described himself as a protector and judge. You look all throughout the, the Old Testament, and you, you can see Psalm, Psalm 68. God describes himself this way. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. That is who, how God is describing himself. In Psalm 146, he he says this, The Lord watches over the sojourners, the the travelers. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The next one, in Deuteronomy. It's almost kind of this liturgical piece. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people say... Okay, you just pronounced a curse on yourself. Do you hear that? Curse be the person who obstructs justice to these people. And all God's people said, amen. So be it to me. If I pervert justice, if I don't care for the fatherless, the widow, if I don't do that, curse be me. And some of the most touching episodes that you see in, in the Old Testament concern God caring for and feeding the widows. You see this with God, how he is, cares for Ruth. During the barley har- harvest, you know, she, he cares for her by providing food. He also cares for Naomi by giving Naomi a daughter, a caregiver. We also see how God spared the widow of Zarephath in the days of Elijah. Just another picture of God caring for them. God provided an abundance of oil for a widow through the ministry of Elisha. Another picture of God's provision. Let's jump to the New Testament. What about Jesus? Jesus brought an only son back to life for the widow of Nain. He said, I'm going to give you your son back. And he, he gave a child back. He commended the, the persistence of the praying widow and the generosity of that poor woman. He, he's highlighting that. He rebuked the, the Bible scholars of his day who devoured widows' houses. And even on the cross, think about this, even on the cross, he made provision for his own mother. Jesus' mind could have been a gajillion other places. His eyes could have been fixed on me, could have been fixed on on Phil, could have been fixed on Pat. But what did he do in those last moments? He provided for his mother, cared for her. And the early church shared God's heart for women who were alone in the world. In fact, the, the first kind of church controversy that took place was when there was this this argument going on between who is getting fed. 
And so what did the church do? Deacons. Deacons were established because we have got to care for the widows. That is God's call on us. And then you see in James, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is pure religion. When our, our faith in Jesus Christ works itself out in such a way that we do what? We visit the orphans. We care for the orphans. We care for the widows in our midst and even abroad. Moving on out. And that we're just unblemished, unstained by the world. So it's significant that Paul, just this very brilliant theologian, a visionary apostle, was concerned about the care given to the widows. And today, I believe the application of this passage could even be a little bit wider. Because modern America, American culture has produced a category of women virtually unknown by the first century. We have Christian women and children who have been abandoned by their spouses and left without any family support. Godly single mothers are a new class of widow that we have got to carefully search through Scripture and just say, okay, God, what what is our call? How, How do we then care? So in, in these verses, here, here's just our, our theme for the morning. Because Paul is giving Timothy some wise counsel of, of how, what, what is the church's call. This, this is it. That the church should wisely care for widows in her midst. And I want you to look at the word wisely. It's Paul. Paul isn't saying in these 14 verses, just willy-nilly. Whoever comes to you, do this. Yep, give it away. Just be be the welfare system for the whole world. He says, there is, however, parameters. There there is a way to care for widows in your midst. So we're going to kind of break it into two sections here. First, the duty to support needy widows, or what Paul calls truly widows. And then the second of the duty not to support others. And there's two groups in there. So there's four types of widows that you're going to see here in this section. First, you you see it in verses uh, 3 and 5 and 9 and 10. You see, the first ones are those who are in need or those who are truly widows, depending what version you use. And these are those who do not have family members to care for them. These are, they're alone, they're abandoned, they're by themselves, and they they have no one else. They're alone. That's one. Then there are the widows who still have children and they have grandchildren. That's the second category. The third one is younger widows. And Paul says they should do what? Remarry. And then there's the fourth. The widows who live for pleasure. 
rather than for the Lord. So the first, that first group, the needy widows that the church is called to, to care for. This first group, um, Paul describes as these are godly women. Godly women who are over the age of 60 and who have been left alone. This, if you look here in this section, you can look at, at verse, um, verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left alone, has her hope set on God. And then look at the, the descriptors after that. Continues in supplications and prayers, night and day. Man, that, that, that is describing a godly woman. But, but that's not it, is it? it? It goes on to describe her even, even further. In, in verse, uh, verse 9, having been a woman, a wife of one husband, having a reputation of good works, has brought up her children, and that's in the admonition of the Lord, she has shown hospitality, and that's not just talking about throwing a great tea party or making good muffins, who opens their home to the strangers, to the disconnected. That's what true hospitality is about. It's not just about tea parties and bringing out the fine china. It's about opening your home and just saying, man, as the Lord has provided and cared for me, so I am caring for you. And then he goes on to say, and has washed the feet of the saints. Who are the saints? You have no clue, do you? I am a saint. Believers in Jesus Christ. Whoever is a saint. So let's think about what does that woman do? This woman who is, who is older than 60. She is a godly woman. She shows hospitality. She, she washes the feet of the saints. This woman is a servant in the church. She's just not this occasional, come, you know, kind of get the church welfare check or come and kind of does her thing. She is serving people. She's got time. She's got ways. She's got means. She is serving. Jenny, how can I serve you? Aaron, how can I serve you? Brian, how can I serve you? I've got time today. I've got so much time. I, I want to serve the body. I want to serve you. This woman is just an amazing servant within the body. Goes on and says, she has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself. This is the blanket statement that Paul is always good at. He kind of ends with, and has devoted herself to every good work. That's my blanket statement. That's the umbrella. If I've left anything else out, and every other good work. So this is, this is a godly woman who just loves the Lord so much. And she has such a devoted heart to the church. Just, and we're called then for that kind of woman who has been left alone, abandoned, without family, without care systems and structures, one who has a heart for the Lord and His church, the church is called to honor her. Verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. Honor. 
this word talks about, uh, it has a connotation in the Greek of kind of two different ways of honor. One is just esteeming a person that is of, because they are made in the image of God, the imago Dei. Ah, made it honor her because she is truly a woman of God. But there's honor. This exact same word is used later on in verse 17. Let the rulers who rule be considered worthy of double honor. What is Paul referring to here? Compensation. So Paul is saying, value her as a sister in Christ. Love her, honor her, esteem her, honor her. But also, because she is alone, honor her financially. Care for her needs. As a a small church, that is a a huge responsibility. Huge responsibility. To care for the needs of the widows within our church. And, And Paul says that these widows should be put on a list. And the elders are to care for them. The deacons are to care for them intentionally. In a way that reflects the love they have for Christ. But in contrast to these godly women, Paul mentions widows who are self-indulgent. And this this word literally means to live in luxury. And then Paul goes on to describe them as that such a woman is dead even while she lives. Yikes! That woman who is self-indulgent, who is all about herself and making her, you know, building her little kingdom. Maybe she has resources. Maybe she, she wants every, she wants everything, you know, luxury. I have all these comforts. That woman is not a godly woman. She's not serving the saints. She's not contributing to the mission and vision of the church. That woman is dead while she is still living. She's on a road to destruction. And Paul says, do not support her. So he puts up some really big boundaries there. So serve, honor, esteem the godly widow who is in your midst. Those who are truly widows. The one who is self-indulgent, living in luxury, who cares only about herself and her comfort? No. No. Then he goes on to say, but what about a widow with children and grandchildren? Paul plainly commands that a, a widow with children or grandchildren should be cared for by them. First and foremost. And that talks to all of us. We have a huge responsibility of caring for our parents and our grandparents. Huge responsibility. And it's not just showing up for Sunday dinner. It's not just doing your weekend trips. There's a point when the money runs dry. And it is first and foremost the family's responsibility to care for aging parents. 
It is our responsibility. Paul, Paul goes on to kind of say that your parents have contributed to your life and your, even your grandchildren's life. So now it is our turn, our turn to make some return to them. Because this is pleasing in the sight of God. Paul even goes on to say, and this is uncomfortable, especially in our American society, where we kind of cast off the elderly. Paul goes on to say that if a person does not provide for his own family, his own family, that he has basically denied the faith and is even worse than an unbeliever. You see, we have got to... As believers in Jesus Christ, we are engrafted into his family. Family is a huge theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We are part of the family of God. And therefore, we put a high value on family. And we we should understand that we have been adopted as children. And we are engrafted into God's family. And we, we love God's family. And so... When we don't care for our parents, our grandparents, it speaks something of our understanding of the gospel. It says that we've got selfishness in our heart. It says that we really don't understand what took place at that transaction. That we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are now children of the living God. We can now call him Father. And therefore, we understand family. Even in the Greek law, from the time of Siloam, there was a Greek law that said sons and daughters were morally and legally bound to support their parents. Legally bound. And the word provide that you see in aid is, is literally to think ahead or to take thought of. And it's a pretty good case, and Diane can thank me later, it's a pretty good case to have adequate life insurance. I get a dollar for every referral. Ten dollars. But to think ahead and to say, I need to care for my children, my grandchildren. In case anything happens. Because I care so much for my family. So to sum it up. If a family can provide for older widows. They should do so. If there is no family to provide for them. Then such older widows may be supported by the church. If they are godly women. They are godly women. Who are serving. Devoted to serving Christ. If they're living in pleasure, then the church has no responsibility for them. But what about younger widows? This is where it gets a little messy. Paul is wise and practical here. He he doesn't want the church to turn into this welfare agency supporting everybody who, who comes and serving everybody. But encourages each one to carry their own load. Verses 11 through, through 15 are not easy to interpret. 
refused to enroll younger, younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desired to marry and so incurred condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This, this whole section, commentators have gone round and round and round on this little section here of what is Paul really saying? If you look at the context of what is going on in all of 1 Tim- Timothy and what is going on in even Ephesus, read Ephesians, there is a breakdown of what is going on. And he talks about how women are being distracted and being pulled away. Basically, these words, former faith that you see in, in verse 12, are literally first faith. They're first faith. So if you couple uh, with verse 15, they would argue that, I would argue that Paul is addressing an existing problem that is going on in the church. Namely, that these younger widows who were put on support of the church were allowing their desire to remarry. Their, this, ah. Oh, I need this. Their desire to remarry, to be greater than their first faith in Christ. So that they were so, their desire to remarry brought them even to a point of marrying an unbeliever. And because of that, they were falling into errors from false teachers They are actually turning away from their first faith in Christ. They were promoting false teachings. And they were marrying on the essential desires that they had. And Paul instructs them, do not support them. But rather encourage them to marry. To marry faithfully. To marry faithfully. And to encourage them to devote themselves to serving the Lord. So that the enemy doesn't have any opportunity to slander the church. Any opportunity to slander the gospel. And then there's just this last, last group. Paul also says that a believing woman, you see this in verse 16, a believing woman should do all that she can to support or assist widows in their family. So that the church is freed up to minister to widows who are truly in need. Okay. So what does this mean? We are not a church that is just filled up with widows. Like I said, average age is about 13. But we all have parents. We all have or had grandparents. So what, what are some practical lessons for the Missio Dei family? First, Lesson number one, godly families. Godly families are at the heart of a godly church. That is why you hear week in and week out, week in, week out, the importance of marriage and husbands leading your wife. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved loved the church. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. We talk about families are critical. It is critical to a godly church. And this just honors God so much. And I want you to hear this. Godly mothers are indispensable to godly families. I, 
I thank God for my wife. My kids, hearing grace talk. Bubba's still not quite there. You know, four years old, he's more about shooting and arrows and rocks and stuff like that. Grace has this growing love for the Lord. Hearing Nathan talk earlier about Abigail and her questions and wanting to stand up and profess her faith and to get baptized. She's how old? Six! Godly mothers are indispensable. Indispensable to the church. So women, you are, you are highly esteemed. Don't let anybody else tell you anything else about what we think as a church. You are indispensable to the church of Jesus Christ and you are indispensable to your families. You are critical to the health of our church. You are critical to the health of our country. You are critical. You are indispensable. On Mother's Day, I'm going to be preaching from 2 Timothy about how I don't want to give it away, but Paul just talks about your mother and the criticalness of your godly mother. Mothers are at the heart of a godly family. But I contend, and hear this, I contend that the the biblical model, as laid out by Scripture, is that the husband normally should be the main provider, spiritually, emotionally, financially, in every way. The, The man should be the caregiver for the family. Even as Christ provides for his bride. And that the wife should be a godly mother. Caring primarily for her her home and her children. Nurturing them up. So number two. As godly families, we have a responsibility to honor and care for our elderly parents especially widows. That doesn't mean you have to wait till mom or dad passes away or grandpa or grandma passes away that you start caring. It is, this is a countercultural thing. Our society views elderly as being a bother to our pursuit of our, our own personal pleasure. They're the thing that slows us down. They're the thing that interferes with my weekend plans. But we, we are called, as godly families, to especially honor and esteem and care for our elderly parents. Especially widows. How that works out, man, that, that is a hard thing to figure out. And each family has got to be faithful to Scripture and faithful in that pursuit, wrestling through, what does it mean for us to care for our parents? Especially those who are alone. In my research from 1979 in in Newsweek, one author noted that although Shanghai is one of, of five largest cities in the world, it is just one home for the aged. Older people in China don't need golden age clubs or retirement communities. They have the most important life support system of all. Active, dignified work 
in an atmosphere of close family and community respect. Maybe it's time that American Christians can learn from the Chinese what the Bible already has confirmed. Number three. Elderly people can make a valuable contribution to the cause of Christ. If you think that you have hit the age of retirement or you're almost there and you've paid your dues, you've missed it. In our men's conference this past two weekends ago, we talked about there's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. But yet, what do we do? We, we build up these 401ks, this, all this money, so that we can retire and just walk the beaches. Have a house down in Florida or just travel the world. And do these things that I've always wanted to do. I don't have kids anymore, so I can just go do this. But that it goes against the very thing that Scripture says. Although they may not have the energy of the young, the elderly have more time and wisdom. And wisdom of a lifetime of walking with Christ. They, they are to be involved in the ministry of prayer. We see that in verse 5. And... Verse 10 says, and good deeds. And this can be as broad as a person wants to make it. And here's my short list. They can offer spiritual and practical counsel to younger families. They can serve on church committees and teams. They can visit shut-ins or those who are in the hospital or nursing homes. They can call on church visitors. They can... They can help in the church office work. Praise be to God for Pat Myers. Oh, yeah. Every Tuesday, faithfully, unless you go on vacation, she is serving faithfully. She could, she could if she had the money, move to Florida and just disappear. Just come back, just tan. But she serves faithfully, using her gifts and her talents. They can help in the Sunday school. They can help back there. Mrs. Gabriels, when I was at Calvary Christian Reformed Church back in Pella, Iowa, Mrs. Gabriels was in the nursery every Sunday. Every Sunday. Godly woman. And she was the one, she had her rocking chair and she held these children. And she prayed for these children. I remember Miss Gabriel's like it was yesterday. And she has a heart for children. And she doesn't need to sit in the service. She doesn't need to have the... She just wanted to serve Mrs. Gabriel's. God bless her. They can also open their homes in hospitality, like it says here. And help out with church socials. They can volunteer to babysit an evening for a younger couple. They can correspond with our missionaries. They can help mission organizations. They can collect clothing for the needy. They can help a shut-in clean their house. Or they can use their individual skills in various ways. You name it, there are opportunities. And we have got to reject the idea that old people serve no purpose for the local church. 
If anything, one thing that we are missing as a church is more older folks. I need older folks. You need older folks who can speak into your life, who are gentle, who have lived longer and just say, I don't know about that. You're going to do what? You think that's wise? Who become your parents, your grandparents for you? Who speak into your life because they love you? We need them. And here's the last thing. Number four. Godly elderly people can make a... uh, Godly living, sorry. Godly living affects the practical areas of life. Many people in our, our day claim to be Christians, but their lives are no different than those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The gospel... Paul preached, urged people to repent and turn, turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Believers are to be zealous for good deeds. And we don't learn, uh, live to serve ourselves, whether we're 20 or whether we're 80. We live to serve Jesus Christ and to lay down our selfish interests for the sake of those for whom Christ died. We are deliberately to reject the culture of self-fulfillment and through love serve one another. Not in just spiritual ways, but the whole person. For our church, for our church, this is a wonderful opportunity to shine with the compassion of Christ. The way Christians care for our parents and grandparents ought to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. So should the way that we care for other people's parents when, for example, they share the good news about Jesus in local nursing homes or in your neighborhoods. The way that we care for everybody should proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. And I'll just give you an example. My family loves a couple across the street. Oh my gosh, do we love this couple. And we are still praying for them. Kids pray for them. And I think that they understand our deep love. Heck, they even invite us down to Florida. And we could stay for free with them. Bonus. But the thing that is still missing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are going to pursue them and pursue them with the love of Christ, in practical ways, in loving ways, until that day that either they they die or they come to Jesus Christ. When they come to Jesus Christ, we are going to show them even more love and more love and richer love. That is our call as a church. 
is to love every person, the whole person. Because why? We are the children of a father who is the protector of widows. And therefore, we are called to be his agents of his protecting and his providing grace. Amen? Amen? Just remember. Curse be anyone who perverts justice to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are all in need of your grace. We are in so need of your grace. And, and if we're honest, we, if we look at our life, we can see how there was a point in our life where we were abandoned, alone, hopeless, without, without any care, any provision. But, and we were like those widows. But Jesus, you showed us mercy. You provided grace through your death on the cross. And you are really the prime example, the chief example of how we are to love. For you laid down your life. You, you gave up your throne in heaven to put on flesh, to, to dwell among us, to love sacrificially, completely, by your death on the cross. God, I pray that this Missio Dei family, these people here, your church, Lord, that we would understand the gospel even more richly. Lord, that it applies to us. We see how it has implications in every area of our life, that we are to be people that are marked with love. So we put off selfishness. We self put off this, this need for self-fulfillment. We put off this idea that it's all about me, myself, and I. But we look to the needs of others. God, we repent as a church for uh, being selfish, of being occasional Christians, being occasional parts of the family, because that has got to break your heart. Lord, I just pray that this church lives into this. And I'm thankful for your grace, which is just sufficient. That it applies to us today when we have fallen short and you lift us up and continue to walk beside us. Jesus, thank you for your word which is faithful and true. All of it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.